Cantos 3 to 9 of the Purgatorio. There's a little introduction. The poets begin to climb the mount where justice searches us. Al monte ove ragion ne fruga. Canto 3, verse 3. Divine justice seeks out the heart, and there, at the centre of our being, we find the uncompromising truth of the Beatitudes. All that we vainly thought to be most important to us is turned over, and the things we gave least importance to are suddenly thrown in the light of prime importance. We discover ourselves before God's rigor and in dis dis desperation abandon ourselves to his mercy. Dante's way back to God, as we have emphasized time and time again, was essentially through the feminine mysteries. And the Theotokos, the Mother of God, as you know, has a central role in both the Orthodox and the Catholic traditions, though with a difference of emphasis. Virgil's task is to, the good of the intellect, is to lead him back to Beatrice. And just as suddenly Virgil vanishes from the scene when we reach the garden of the earthly of earthly innocence at the top of Mount Purgatory, so does Beatrice stand back once St. Bernard hymns the Mother of God. It is through Mary, the Virgin Mother of God the Virgin Mother God bearer, that Dante gains his deep insight into the Trinity. It was she who sent St. Lucy to Beatrice to ask her to take pity on her lover lost in the dark wood. The Madonna and her child is the icon upon which Dante fixed his eyes. In thee, O Mother of God, all my hope I set. Guard me under thy protection. Words from the Akathist hymn to the Mother of God. And from the Western tradition, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Last week I suggested that Mount Purgatory may be compared to Boethius's Lady Philosophy with her ladder of ascent. But far more apposite is the more hidden significance of the wisdom of the Holy Virgin. It is through the ascent of the mountain's cornices that the soul learns in the depth of the heart the meaning of her song, the Magnificat, you'll find in chapter 1 of St. Luke, verses 46 to 55. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, and so on. In her canticle, 
She who is more honourable than the cherubim and more glorious beyond compare than the seraphim speaks as a prophetess of old, fulfilling all the songs of the holy women of Israel that you can find in the Old Testament. She teaches through her words essential qualities that the soul has to regain as it ascends the mountain. Mary's song has, as far as I can see, essentially eight teachings. The joy that comes from praising God. Humility. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner, the prayer of the heart. The need of poverty of spirit or becoming childlike according to the teachings of her son and so to open the heart to the gift of grace. The holiness of the divine name. Trust in God's infinite mercy. Learn through awe and fear. The reality of imminent and universal judgment is a constant fact of life. I mean, we in history at this moment are very much in a sort of apocalyptic phase. The Lord's merciful assistance to Israel, his church, his people, and his favour granted to Abraham and his seed. The proud, the mighty, the rich, those who would be first are cast down, whilst the humble, the oppressed and the poor are raised up. Cosmic equilibrium is re-established. Mary is the true lady of justice with the scales in her hand, for it is how we relate to her and her mystery, that is the incarnation, that we are, are either raised up or lured. And also, our lack of equilibrium, according to Mary's wisdom, may be found in pride, injustice towards our neighbour, attachment to riches, love of self, contempt of our neighbour and the desire to possess. If you read the words of the Magnificat with those thoughts, I think the, word, the words will come alive. It's obvious that Dante understood these matters well and kept them in his heart. Just as Mary's purity enabled her to give birth to her son through the overpowering of the Holy Spirit, so we too must become empty of the selfhood, selfhood in order to be, to be filled. Purgatory then, rightly understood, freed from theological and historical controversies, is the yoke we take upon ourselves for the Lord's sake. Next he heading is Cantos 3 to 6.
The two terraces that the poet set out to climb are not purgatory proper, but stages outside St. Peter's Gate. Anti-purgatory. The first is occupied by the excommunicated. On the second are found the late repentant through indolence, being unshriven or over-preoccupied with the cares of the world. All are present on these terraces because before death they repented of their sins and forgave all those who offended them. Now that's very important. The forgiving of all those that offend us is an essential um, act that we must do before dying in order to, to reach um, forgiveness and obtain God's mercy. We cannot expect mercy if we ourselves are unmerciful. Such a state of mind should, of course, be with us continually, not just in moments of crisis. Furthermore, and basic to Dante's understanding of St. Peter's Gate, is the fact that we should seek absolution and the counsel and advice of a true spiritual father. We quickly learn on meeting the first souls along the way that unlike those in the abyss, worldly titles no longer apply. For here all know each other by their Christian names. Canto 5 verse 88. Dante is introducing to us in his subtle way to the meaning of the mystical body. Sacraments, the outward signs for means of inward grace, pertain to the earthly life. But here on Purgatory's Mount and later in Paradise, sacraments have ceased. Sacraments have become reality. All are here within the mystical body. Each soul beholds Christ in his neighbour. All are in the mystery according to their station, and all rest and are content in God's will. Hence there is no first or last, simply union, the one, the wholeness, which our Lord prayed for in his great Eucharistic prayer, John 17. Souls smile retain their individuality, their particular story, insights, even the scars of their wounds. Doubting Thomas had to touch his Saviour's wounds. Dante is stressing the vital importance of our mortal life, for nothing is lost in the divine economy. What we say, think, do, even leave undone, is akin to our abilities in mining for a rich seam of gold. The precious metal, once mined, has to be cleansed, refined, rolled, cut, burnished, worked into a receptacle to hold the pearl above price. Our mortal life 
is unique and it is our responsibility to work out our salvation with fear. Dante learns that the mystical body takes into itself all repentant human life. From the Theotokos, the mother of God, to the most wretched yet penitent soul. And the Paradiso, when we come to it, will comment on this teaching even more, step by step. On reading the text carefully, we note that Virgil ponders in thought, whilst Dante sees first a troop of souls coming their way. I count to three, 55 to 59. Dante, in other words, is becoming aware. Virgil, more pensive. He too will need a guide, for this is a foreign territory for him. Sordello, the troubadour poet, will be the poet's guide on the lower terraces. Statius, the Roman poet, will be their companion as they climb the terraces. The excommunicated but repentant souls are huddled together like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Canto 3, 79 to 87. And move about in groups. They are delayed with nothing much to do other than to wander around their terrace for thirty times the duration of their stubborn pride which set them apart from the church's sacraments. The terrace's example is Manfred, the excommunicated emperor of Sicily, son of Frederick II, who Dante had placed, as you remember, in hell. Manfred, if you look up um, contemporary uh, accounts of him, contrasts well with the totally self-centred Farinata that we found trapped in his fiery tomb of obdurate heresy. Villani, the Florentine historian, described Manfred as comely of his body and as dissolute as his father and more so. He was a musician and a singer and delighted in the company of jesters, courtiers, courtesans and always dressed in green. He was very liberal and courteous and debonair so that he was greatly loved and gracious but all his life he was an Epicurean caring neither for God nor his saints but only for bodily pleasure and he was an, em an enemy enemy of the church and the clergy. But here Manfred speaks thus to Dante. First translation, then the Italian text. I gave myself weeping to him who pardons willingly. Horrible were my sins, but the infinite goodness of such wide arms that it receives all who turn to it. It's, Canto 3, 119 to 123. Io mi rendei piangendo a quei che volontier perdona. Orribil furon li pa peccati miei. 
ma la bontà infinita ha sì gran braccia che prender ciò che si rivolge a lui. Manfred is an example of the grace of repentance and the power of the, the divine mercy set before us at the beginning of the ascent of Mount Purgatory. Dante is also here underlining the fact that a self-deluding innocence is not enough to gain access to Mount Purgatory, but rather repentance, deep, deep sorrow for sin, together with the forgiving of all those who have offended us. The way up to the second terrace, where the late repentant are found, is steep and narrow. It is a narrow cleft in the rock and reminds us of the eye of the needle in the teaching of Christ in the New Testament. The poets next find that the souls of the indolent simply have to wait and hang around, walking around their terrace. Their punishment is their own procrastination. They are detained for the equivalent duration of their earthly lives before they can move on. They do not even have a prayer allotted to them. They are totally idle. On the other hand, those who died penitent but are unabsolved pray Psalm 51, the Miserere, a psalm which is prayed daily in the Orthodox tradition at the office of the third hour, and of course in both Catholic and Orthodox traditions at the burial of the dead. And by tradition, Psalm 51 was the prayer of David's repentance after his act of adultery with Bathsheba. And just as Canto V of the Inferno is remembered for Francesca and Paolo, so Canto V of the Purgatorio is remembered for another lady, the mysterious Pia de Tolomei, and her few poignant, memorable words draw the canto to a close. De quando tu sarai tornato al mondo e riposato della lunga via, seguitò il terzo spirito a secondo, ricorditi di me che son la pia, siena mi fe, disfecimi meremma, sarsi colui canelata pria, disposando ma vea con la sua gemma. 5, 130-136 the third soul followed the second. Pray, when thou returnest to the world, she said, <coughs> said she, and art well re rested from the weary way, remember me that I am called piety. Siena made me, and Maremma undid me, as well he knows who plighted troth to me, and set his ring upon my hand to wed me. In the context of what we know of Pia della Tolomei that you will find in your commentaries, three points may be made. First, that Dante considered sudden death 
a very serious matter. For, a for the person concerned has not time to receive absolution, even though they may die penitent like the pia, la pia. Secondly, the souls in purgatory always ask to be remembered in prayer, for prayer binds the living and the dead with mutual respect. And thirdly, that betrothal vows between men and women are binding. In Canto 6, Dante asks Virgil about the efficacy of prayer. The answer emphasizes the need for prayer to be joined to God's grace because good intentions alone are not enough. Here Virgil is on unsure territory and emphasizes that it would be Beatrice who will later answers, answer his questions in depth. The troubadour poet Sordello has become the poet's guide. Virgil is an ancient, allegorically natural man, the good of the intellect, that which is potentially given to all. He cannot know the inhabitants of purgatory or explain its organisation, so an interpreter is required. Their meeting with Sordello is also an occasion for the poets to lament the sick state of Italy. Um, 6, 76 to 78, a hostel of grief, a ship without a pilot in a great tempest, no mistress of provinces but a brothel. And the text goes through a long list of the warring families of Italy, not forgetting the Capulets and the Montagues. And Dante concludes with a vicious attack on Florence, one of many that he makes. Canto 7 and Canto 8. Sordello explains that it is a rule of the mount that when the sun sets, all activity ceases and the souls take their rest. Allegorically, the sun represents God, or more specifically, our Lord and divine grace. This interpreted suggests that without the light of Christ there can be no progress on the spiritual way. It is not something that we accomplish ourselves, otherwise we will be prone to pride and self-deceit. Dorothy says, here stresses that the imagery signifies our periods of inner dryness or spiritual darkness. Dante is also teaching that when these occur, we must be patient and wait for grace to return. Michelangelo, in one of his sonnets, it's um, 42, sonnet 42, teaches that seeds need darkness in order to germinate and to grow, whereas the sun may breed germs and decay. Night, therefore, too, is sacred. It is a time when we inwardly grow. It is a period willed by God. 
Too easily in the daylight we become carried away with ourselves and fall prey to spiritual pride. It is also during the periods when grace seems to be absent that we learn that we are always held in the arms of the Saviour and when the light returns never, never to squander the gift of grace. And Michelangelo, who kept the Divine Comedy beside him, apparently all his life, along with a copy of the New Testament, concludes his sonnet as follows. Ma l'ombra sola pianta l'uomo serve, dunque le notti più chiù son sante, quanto l'uomo più d'ogni alto frutto vale. Which John Addington Simmons renders, but only darkness serves for human seeds. Night, therefore, is more sacred far than day, since man excels all fruits, however fair. We should also recall Christ's teaching that you can find in chapter 11 of St. John's Gospel, verses 9 and 10. And there are, uh, are there not twelve hours in the day? Any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. So night time, the dark periods, is when we must be patient. Dante and Michelangelo, both are teaching that we have to learn to walk before we can fly. When our Lord says, enough, now learn how to rest, that we must do. It's a profound teaching. One cannot go through life grasping after grace. It must be given and gladly accepted. The three poets, that Sordello, Dante and Virgil, come to the valley where are found kings and rulers, those who neglected their spiritual duties in this world due to social duties. Even in their idyllic valley, they still worry about worldly matters. And Dorothy says, Blesser, it's right to point out that here are also anxious parents, overburdened housewives, breadwinners, social workers, busy organisers, and others who are rushed off their feet and who forget to say their prayers. She quotes Dante in the Convivio and his sympathy for those caught up, I quote, the domestic and civic cares by which the great number of people are quite properly absorbed so that they have no leisure for speculation. Dante hears the Salve Regina, one of the hymns to the Virgin, being sung on and on and on. It is the allotted prayer in the valley. And note after last week's um, talk when Dante met his friend and they sang at the foot of Mount Purgatory, that in Purgatory music is very definitely a vehicle for aiding and helping prayer contemplation.
The sun is soon setting, tis the hour of Compline. The evening hymn is sung, te lucis ante terminum. Dante here tends us to remember in a nutshell the psalms, prayers and hymn of that beautiful office of the church. Psalms 4, 91 and 134. He remembers, all, I quote, all sense of self was ravished out of me. We too must have been moved at some time by this proud, profound and most beautiful office. It is an important, I, I, having said that, do, if you read, you don't know Compline, make sure you read it in the Benedictine um, hours rather than any modern attempt to redo it and ru ruin it. Look at the original, please. It is an important moment, and Dante draws his re reader's attention to the fact. A Canto 8, 19-21. Aguzza qui letor, ben gli occhi al vero, che il vero velo è ora ben tanto sottile, certo il trasporto. Passa dentro e leggero. Sharpen thy insight, that thy sight now, reader, to regard the truth, for so transparent grows the veil, to pass within will surely not be hard. Don't forget that the gate of paradise, obviously, is to be um, seen against the horrors of the gate to hell and the cantos uh, are more or less equal eight nine and remember under the veils of the, the strange work by uh, my work regard the hidden um, uh, doctrine sotto il velame delle vesti strani as the Italian goes that's in hell and here's Dante again emphasizing look beneath the words beneath the imagery at what is being signified. As the darkness increases, two angels descend, Del Grembio di Maria, 837, from Mary's bosom, to guard the Eden-like valley. Their fiery swords, you will note, are blunted. Why? Maybe because the serpent has already been vanquished once and for all. Sin has retreated to the abyss, its last fissured, cracked stronghold. Now the reptile may only slither into the subconscious and the realm of nocturnal dreams. In the light of day, the conscious mind will, firmly set, will be firmly set towards God. But at night, as one of Compline's psalms says, we need to dwell under the defence of the Most High and under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91. We need to be assured that he, that is God, will give us his angels to keep charge over us and that the pestilence that walks in darkness can have no real hold on us. In the hymn we pray to be guarded from ill dreams and nightly fears and so take our rest. Sordello points out to Dante the adversary. 
serpent slithering quietly into the valley. The angels quickly put the wretched monster to flight. Their wings are green, the colour of hope and of the heart, where the passions, intellectual and emotional, are integrated through the grace brought to harmony through love. Dorothy says, for Dorothy says, the episode allegorically relates to the pilgrim's soul in this world. As long, she writes, as the will, will, tr as the will truly intends penitence and amendment, the Christian need not and should not be unduly troubled by the involuntary aberrations of the unconscious, but should simply commend the matter to God in the confident assurance that it be will be taken care of. The four stars that we considered last week representing the cardinal virtues that greeted Dante at dawn have dipped from view. Now three new bright stars adorn the heavens. They represent the theological virtues of faith, hope and love. It is time to rest in the valley protected by the angels. He is leaving behind him, allegorically speaking, the philosophical world of a convivial. He is next to start learning the spiritual world, the spiritual way. As he climbs the cornices above him, so he will learn. He is about to embrace the central way that leads back to Beatrice. Above him, as he sleeps, stands St. Peter's Gate. Canto 9 um, Dante is playing with these um, three numbers, 7, 8, 9. Um, the sacraments, number 7, the relationship of the soul and the body in this world. 8, the transition. Um, fonts in the West are octagonal usually, they can be round but usually they're octagonal and um, in the mosques the dome represent, uh, rests usually on an octagonal shape, transition. And nine, the world of the muses and the angelic intelligences. So moving from the world of the sacraments, this world and the relationship of the soul and the body through a stage of transition, a new octave, to number nine, the angelic intelligences. I now go back to my text. Canto nine. Symbolically, the number eight signifies the completion of an octave and the beginning of a new ascent on the ladder of the scale. The word scale comes from the Italian word scala, meaning ladder. Nine introduces us to the heavenly hierarchies of the angelic intelligences. Dante, by setting his coming to St. Peter's Gate as Canto Nine, is emphasizing that he is about to enter on the way that is the beginning of paradise, the kingdom as promised by our Lord. As he climbs up the mountain, the garden of earthly innocence, he is forced 
to rest for three nights. Each night is remembered for a particular dream, which, when interpreted, interprets a transition taking place within his soul. During the night spent in the Valley of the Kings, he dreams that like Ganymede, he's on Mount Ida, and that he is caught up to heaven by an eagle. As he is lifted in his dream towards the burning light of the sun, it would seem that the fire would sear him. The brightness of the light startles him. He awakes to find that is another day that is another day, and with faithful Virgil still next to him. He has come to purgatory proper. His faithful guide tells him that as he slept, St. Lucy, his one of his patron saints, Lucia, Lux, Luce, Light, a symbol of illuminating grace, carried him up as he slept to the gate through which the soul must enter if it is to return to the Creator. Dante has climbed the terraces of the excommunicate of the late repentant and has showed himself to be eager to enter on the way of penitence and contrition. In this, he has been dependent on God's illuminating grace and mercy. He has to acknowledge that the natural powers of the mind and the will in themselves are insufficient. It is not Virgil, the good of the intellect, but St. Lucy, illuminating grace, who has carried him during his sleep. And poor old Virgil has had to scramble up behind. The poet had to be lifted up by God's grace to the next stage of his journey. His sleep was, as in Michelangelo's sonnet, a growing point in the inner life. During his sleep, he had matured and sprouted like a seed to greet the fullness of the light of grace. This is, is the reason why it seemed that in his dream he burned in the light. He was being dazzled by the glory of illuminating grace. Though we have to make the effort to climb, we are only enlightened in God's own good time most likely unwittingly, when we are relaxed, vulnerable, asleep, when we are totally dependent on loving arms to lift us and to carry us on. Again Dante addresses his reader to mark well his words. 970 to 72 Letor tu vedi ben comu in alzo la mia matera e però più con più arte non ti maravigliar si io la rincalzo. Look, reader, how my theme would scale the sky. Marvel not, therefore, if for greater art I seek to buttress what I build so high. The poets make their way to the gate, and if I may just go aside from my text for a moment, the gate of St. Peter's Gate, the Gate of Purgatory, is one of the most discussed, discussed images amongst um, 
Dante scholarship of all time. And I, the rest of the lecture is taken up with it, and I go on completing it next week. I hope you don't get bored with it. But um, it is a profound image, and it has to be placed in the teaching that Dante would have associated with this imagery for it to really make sense. Poets make their way to the gate. Here we are meant to think back for a moment to Canto 9 of the Inferno. There the reader was asked to mark well the doctrine shrouded under the veils of his tale. The episode was concerned with entering another gate, that of Dis, hell proper. It will be remembered how an angel had to throw open the gate, rendering the power of the Medusa and the Furies impotent. The whole sequence was concerned with the teaching of the hardness of the ego, which Dante, through his descent into hell proper, was called to unmask. Hell, we could say, was the stage in the when the pilgrim had to know sorrow for sin. He had to see sin for what it was. Stage two was the washing of his face and eyes in the dew and being girded with a reed. You remember that took place last week. This indicated the commitment of his will. Now we have reached stage three. Of course, Dante's repentance and purification will not be fulfilled, really, until he's been re reunited with um, Beatrice. There are the stages he has to go through. Traditionally, what follows is interpreted as the sacrament of confession. Indeed, the imagery that follows recalls the ritual confession before a priest. I think T.S. Eliot saw it this way, and also Dorothy Sayers. My interpretation is slightly different. However, we should remember that in the afterlife, sacraments have ceased, and what we have is what they indicated and their essence. The way to the door, or St. Peter's Gate, where purgatory begins, has many important symbols that must be interpreted. First of all, the all-important custodian angel. The angel is a representative of St. Peter and the Pope, the wise confessor or starets, even the forgiving friend. At first he is stern, Take care lest your coming up be to your hurt. Perhaps his words echo those of the Sibyl. Procul o procul este profani. Stay away, stay away, unhallowed ones. Virgil answers the angel that a lady told them to follow the way to the gate. St. Lucy and Petrus. And the angel answers, May she speed your steps to good. And Dante is then invited to climb, note, our 
stairs, not his, our stairs. In other words, it implies the stairs of the whole company of heaven. All who are to be saved must climb these stairs or these steps. He is about to move from the profane to the sacred, from the earthly to the heavenly, from the temporal to the spiritual. So we must look with detail in the second of the images, the three steps. Dante has to climb three steps. The first is polished white marble, so clear that it mirrors his true likeness. The second is darker than purse. According to the Shorter English Dictionary, in early writers, blue, bluish grey, later taken after the Italian as purplish black. Purse is a mixture of purple and black, but black prevails, and from black it derives its name. That's also um, quoted the last bit from the Convivio um, for um, 22. Um, the second is darker than purse and is of a stone, rugged and burnt, cracked in its length and breadth. The third is made from porphyry, as flaming red as blood that spurts from the vein. Of course, the colours white, black and red may have a reference to alchemical symbolism here, but leave, let us leave that aside. It, it takes us into a whole other field of study. Likewise, the colours of Beatrice, green, white and red, are alchemical so, uh, symbols, colours. But please, um, don't let us lose time on, on that um, avenue uh, uh, of thought. The first step would have reflected brilliantly the light of the sun, and Dante sees himself in its whiteness, and this stage implies the maxim, know thyself, or from Proverbs 18, verse 17, the just man is first of all his own accuser. The whiteness, purity of the marble implies that what is seen is true. The second step is darker than purse, rough, dry and split. It is certainly and clearly associated with sin. Purse, as we've noted, is an image to, to describe hell. Hardness, darkness, they such concept indicate ignorance. See Purgatorio 33, verses 73 to 4. White to black, light to darkness, implies progress towards corruption. See Paradiso, Paradise, um, twenty-two, ninety-three, and twenty-seven, one, three, six. Hardness and roughness 
Recall the stony ground where the seed of the gospel may not grow because of the hardness of the heart. Dryness indicates the lack of grace and the water of life, the gift of the Spirit, and the Psalms are full of such imagery. The stone's fissures are the scars of sin, the divided kingdom of the self. Dante is seeing, in other words, the consequences of his own sins. In the language of the psalm, his sin is before him. And we may think of Psalm 139. He has been searched out and known. There is no escape. His soul is dark, hard, dry, scarred. His soul is split, wounded by sin. His only hope is the cleansing blood of Christ's wounds. He has been attrited, worn down. He has seen hell and fears it. Therefore he becomes contrite and gives himself over totally to God's mercy. The third step with its blood redness implies shame also for sin, fear of hell's fires, love and faith in our Lord's passion, the selfless offering of a full, perfect and sufficient oblation and satisfa satisfaction for the sins of the whole world, as Cranmer's prayer book would have it. St. Augustine said that shame is part of forgiveness. St. John Chrysostom said, He who blushes is worthy of pardon. Vidyas ire. Note it next time you listen to Verdi's Requiem. Well, better, a Mozart's Requiem. Teaches that the knowledge of sin brings the blush of shame. Culpa rubet vultus meus. My face is red with guilt. Dante has seen hell without and within himself and fears lest he be burnt by the eternal fire. Again, the diesire ne perenni creme rigni. But such negatives, self-centred fear, cannot bring about true contrition. He must be moved by love, caritas, agape, and know in the deepest sense that God so loved the world he gave his only Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 I suggest that the following prayer of St Ambrose of Milan in preparation for the receiving of communion could well be words uttered by Dante and certainly known to Dante as he climbed the three steps. My heart and my body are stained with many crimes. To thee, O Lord, I show my wounds. To thee I reveal my shame. I know my sins to be many and great, and I fear them. I put my trust in thy mercies, which have no bounds. Hail, saving victim, sacrifice for me and for all mankind on the gibbet of the cross. Hail, noble and precious blood, flowing from the wounds of my crucified Lord Jesus Christ. 
and washing away the sins of the whole world. Now this is far removed from the Gnostic teaching that the individual is fundamentally no different from the Supreme. How great are the dangers, the spiritual dangers, of pride hidden in such a thought. Dante is stressing in the imagery of the three steps the Christian te teaching that God became man so as to enable man through repentance and absolution to become a partaker of God. Dante's yearning recalls once more Traherne's O oh, give me what thou art that I may give thee what I am and be made a partaker of the divine nature. Without God's grace we of ourselves can do nothing. It is the deep mystery of love. I may love until my heart breaks, but all to no avail until I know that the beloved loves me. The heart of the Judaic Christian tradition is this standing patiently before God in deep relationship. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, the prayer of the heart. The significance of the custodian angel. If the angel represents the Pope as well as St. Peter, the spiritual father, the forgiving friend, then we must not imagine the corrupt papacy of the period. Dante is thinking of the true shepherd of the flock, the real essence of Peter's seed. From now on, as we ascend, it will become increasingly clear that Dante looked toward the restoration of a purely spiritual church, a church founded on the teaching of the Bible, the inner tradition, the apostolic succession, filled with the Holy Spirit, and thus virtuous, virtuous, guided by Beatrice, the mysterious emissary of God. See Purgatory 33, 43 to 5. The angel also holds a sword. St. Peter and St. Paul are shown in icons as holding swords. They are hereby understood as crucial joint founders of the church. St. Peter is seen as the symbol of hierarchical power. He was the first bishop of Antioch before he came to Rome, where the faithful were first called Christians. You can find that in the Acts of the, of the Apostles. St. Paul is considered, on the other hand, the champion of the faith. For St. John, John Chrysostom, they are the shining eyes, the lanterns of Rome, where both saints are buried. Indeed, for John Chrysostom, an Orthodox, they protect Rome. The sword, on an immediate level, suggests the exercise of a wise confessor or starets as exercising God's justice and mercy. 
St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica describes three swords, the material sword, see John 1810, uh, uh, right, the flaming sword which guards Eden, and that of divine justice in Genesis 3.24, and the sword as the word of God, Matthew 10.34, Revelation 1.16. Note that the material sword brings punishment on those who wield it. Luke 22.38. It is perilous for the church to use it. For example, the sad history of the Crusades, which is still with us in this terrible conflict at present. Then to emphasizes this fact in Purgatory 16, 109 to 12. The second sword certainly applies to the wise confessor and counsellor. And the third sword, that of the word, Logos, which pierces man's soul, also certainly applies to the guardian angel. When Dante first sees the sword, it dazzles him. Hence, it is the penetrating word of God. Later, it marks the sevenfold P's on his forehead, thereby signifying that he must do penance for his sins. The single sword represents, furthermore, Dante's vision of a purely spiritual church, unlike the papacy of its time, which too easily wielded the material sword in battle. The single sword also in indicates that he is from now on leaving the temporal world and embracing the community of the suffering church, that of penance and martyrdom. This will come much clearer when we get to paradise. The spiritual nature of the angel is reinforced by the garments that he wears. He is robed in the colour of ash or earth, the symbols of penance and humility. Ash clearly refers to sackcloth and ashes, the traditional symbols of penitence in the Old Testament, and the ashes of mortality placed on the forehead on the day of Ash Wednesday. Thus the angel also represents the fact that all the faithful that also thus the angel also represents the fact that all the faithful are penitents, above all the wise starets or spiritual teacher. The earthen quality may suggest the habit of the Franciscans the followers of the poverello who embrace poverty, humility and simplicity, to which, you know, we pointed out Dante was attached. Note that the angel wears no glistening liturgical vestments. Without doubt, he represents the true pastor angelicus of Dante's reformed and spiritual church. The fourth uh, imagery, the diamond threshold. We're nearly getting to the end. We use a diamond 
to cut through glass. Glass may be made into mirrors, the symbol of illusion. The true intellect is like a diamond cutting through the beguiling fantasies and vanities of the world. We are told that Christ built his church on a rock, the rock of faith. The true rock is our Lord himself, the stone rejected by the builders, but which became the cornerstone, the foundation of Mount Zion, the true model for the spiritual church. It is the rock of true intellect. In Dante's imagery, this rock is a diamond, and the angel sits on it whilst Dante kneels on the third blood-red porphyry step, on which rest also the feet of the angel. If we take the angels representing the Reformed, I don't mean Protestant, I mean Dante's spiritually Reformed church, he then kneels before St. Peter's representative. As the wise father confessor, the angel is our own spiritual director, as the forgiving friend he is, the one who stretches out a helping hand and lifts us up to our next stage of our journey. You see what I'm saying? That um, yes, there are times when it is your spiritual counsellor that helps you, but also Christ comes to you, to us, through our friends, and they are part of this mystery of the spiritually reformed church that Dante has in mind. The fifth point is Dante's submission. That's 9, 109 to 111. Divotto mi ai sen santi piedi, misericordia chiesi, Kel mi aprisse ma tre volte nel petto pria mi diedi. The Valkyrie falling at the holy feet, I prayed him, let me in for mercy's sake, but first upon my breast three times I beat. This is the moment when on the literal level of interpretation Dante has made his confession. A cleansing that will continue as he ascends the seven cornices, acknowledging his vices and seeking freedom from their chains. He portrays himself before the angel, humble, devout, submissive. He pleads for mercy and is penitent, asking for permission to enter purgatory. We are remembered of the we are we remember the words, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my soul shall be healed. You find a lot of this imagery in Eliot's Ash Wednesday. Now the seven Ps I will attempt to discuss the concept of purgatory in the next lecture. Now we will simply consider the angel inscribing on Dante's forehead seven letter P's.
he is instructed, fa che lavi quando sei dentro queste piaghe. When you are inside, that is in purgatory, see that you wash away these wounds. And that's uh, 9, 113 to 114. He's not absolved in the story, but he's told to do something. Dante is suggesting that purgatory is something we ourselves embrace here and now. This is because attachment to sin develops habits and these require healing. Our freedom is the result of an inner process. But what about these letter P's? I suggest that P stands obviously for peccato, pena, perdono, sin, punishment, also pain, suffering, anguish, distress, trouble, grief, difficulty and forgiveness. Why are they inscribed on the forehead? We can all think of sacramental rituals that involve the forehead, from baptism to the anointing with oil. On the Feast of Theophany, in the Christian Eastern tradition, the faith have the form of the cross painted with oil on their foreheads. <coughs> and this is before being anointed with holy water. Oil is often associated with fire. The holy oil, oil therefore, could be said to burn open a hole in our foreheads for the grace of the Holy Spirit to descend within us, healing the deep centers from our brains down to our throat, lungs, heart, stomach, colon, to our reproductive organs. Perhaps the Eastern concept of the forehead being like an eye that needs to be opened in order to heal the psychic centers helps in this figurative sense in a figurative sense. But why seven? Clearly the so-called seven deadly sins for the seven cornices that Dante is about to scale. But in the Bible, seven is associated often with sin and sometimes with blessing. For example, there are seven plagues of Egypt. There's the sevenfold washing of Naaman in 2 Kings 5, when he is healed of leprosy. There are the seven days of sacrifices of expiation, the seven penitentiary psalms, the seven heads of the beast, the seven angels and the seven plagues, the seventy times sevenfold forgiveness of sins, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, the seven beatitudes, the seven candlesticks of the menorah, the seven made up of the cardinal and theological virtues, the seven sacraments, and so on. The Platonists spoke of seven, signifying the union of the body and the soul. They said we see seven things, body, distance, shape, size, colour, movement and rest. There are seven ages, seven planets, seven musical notes in the scale, seven movements up 
down, forward, backward, right, left, circular. Once one starts playing with numbers, one may go on and on forever. What Dante is concerned with in his tale is the recovering of human dignity, for our ultimate destiny is to be transhumanized, transfigured. This will become so clear when we get to paradise. He needs to be released from the burden and scars of sin. And as he climbs, the peas are removed by the angels, and so he feels lighter and lighter and lighter. Look at Psalms 30 and 31, and the first verse of Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Dante quotes those very words in Purgatory 29, verse 3, when Matilda, we shall come to her in due time, sings them as she washes him in the river Lethe. Beati quorum teca sunt peccata. Dante is emphasizing that the stain of sin is remitted by contrition, sorrow for sin. He stresses in Canto 22, lines 73 to 5, that Christ alone delivers us from our sins through his blood. We are left with their stains that through grace and effort are gradually removed. Let us sum up ten points. In anti-purgatory we learn that the absolute necessity of contrition before death. Two, we have to embark on this path as soon as possible. Three, the events, trials, disappointments of life enable us to do precisely this. For example, Dante's own exile, shame, humiliation, poverty, enabled him to start making satisfaction for his sin of pride. Four, purgatory for Dante is a school, a medicinal curing of the soul, a moral training towards virtue and true love, towards courtesy and joy. 5. It's a place where virtue is taught and that virtue is the source of all moral action, especially our attempts to love are purified in purgatory and redirected towards their true goal. 6. He looks forward to being free, upright, healthy. See Purgatory 11, 34-6, 11, 121-126, and 13, 106-8, 16, 31-32, 6, oh, sorry, that's repetition, and 20, 30 to line 104. In the Eastern Orthodox, you are often told either to lower your heads or to stand upright.
7. Our trials are ultimately the source of joy. Io dico pena e dovria dir solazzo. I say punishment, but I should say joy. A 23, line 72. 8. Sins do leave wounds, and these through grace are healed. And uh, as Lady Julian of Norwich said, become our worships. 9. The wounds must be closed up. Uh, I quote Purgatory 25, 138-9. Con tal cura convince e con tai pasti che la piaga da sezzo si. By this task and by these foods, spiritual foods, the wound, says Dante, must finally be closed up. Ten, the final healing, as we shall see, is the true cauterization and the refining fire of the last cornice. According to Dante's teaching, we are to be purified and remade through love. Our will must become free, upright, healthy, puro e disposto a salire alle stelle, pure and prepared to ascend to the stars. Purgatory 33, 145. And I would take up the themes of the keys, the door, and purgatory proper next week. Thank you very much.